We can praise God for that. So I'm so grateful that you all are here. Uh, we're going to pause on the book of Psalms tonight. And being that we are celebrating uh, and kicking off Christmas here at Alive uh, with a potluck, we're also going to uh, do a Christmas message today. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open up to the book of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 1. We are at Luke chapter 1 tonight. Starting in verse 26. The birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus was given to us historically in a time where there was a lot of oppression and fear from the Roman government to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were living not only in fear and oppression, but really uh, in bondage to the Roman government that was oppressing them with taxation. And they were waiting for their Messiah, they're waiting for hope so that their Messiah can establish and rule and reign over the nation of Israel. And what happens here is that we see that we have an announcement of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 1. When people needed hope the most. You know that God is so available and He knows your need, He knows our hearts, He knows our needs. And He's ready to give you hope when you need it the most. We are oftentimes overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with discouragement, overwhelmed with uh, the climate that we're living in right now all around our world. And uh, oftentimes it's hard to rejoice in difficult times like the ones that we're living in. But the birth of Christ gives us a reason to rejoice. And we title that today's message, A Reason to Rejoice. Maybe today you need some joy in your life. Well, Jesus gives us joy and he, his birth, gives us a reason to rejoice. We're going to learn here how to rejoice in the birth of Christ as we are submitting to the will of God. We're going to learn how to rejoice in the will of God or in the birth of Christ as we are submitted to the will of God. And in Luke chapter 1, in the announcement of the birth of Christ, we see three major things. Number one is the message in the announcement. We see the mission in his birth, but we also see the miracle that takes place in Christmas, the miracle. So we're going to look at three major things, the message, the mission or the ministry, and also the miracle, the miracle in the birth of Jesus. Why don't we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask, Lord, that your word would minister to us tonight. Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, to the heart that is anxious, to the heart that is fearful, to the heart that needs more of you. That you would comfort us, God. That you would give us the reason to rejoice. And it's simply found in the manger, in the virgin birth. In God becoming flesh. We thank you because you loved us that much that you would send your son to be born only to die on the cross for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for the salvation of the world. We put this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Now, we see here that this was a message from God. This was a message about the Son. And this was a message that would take place or uh, culminate and be fulfilled, this promise, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity here. A message from God about the Son, and it was through the Holy Spirit now. And, and we're going to see that what happens here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, is God's perfect purpose in God's perfect time 
at God's perfect place. I want you to know that God's purpose is perfect, but not only is his, perf- his purpose perfect, it also has a perfect time and a perfect place. Let's read here Luke 1 verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. God's perfect purpose being fulfilled at a perfect time in a perfect place now. Oftentimes we don't believe that God's plans are good plans, but his plans are perfect plans, and his plans are perfect in all of his ways. Let's read here verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, underline that church, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means salvation. And he will be great, and you will be called, he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will be with him, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, what a beautiful story we have here in the announcement of the birth of Jesus, filled with comfort, filled with promises, and filled with hope. I want you to look at here in verse 26 because we see here God's perfect timing unfolding before us. It was a place called Nazareth. Now you see here in verse 26 the message was from God. In God's time, from God. From the angel Gabriel that God was using here, a messenger angel of the Lord. Here now speaking into a city of Galilee now named Nazareth. Now, who is the message here for? We see in the next verse, verse 27, it was to a virgin. This is important that we realize this because this is prophecy being fulfilled at the birth of Jesus. To a virgin betrothed to a man or to a virgin that was engaged to a man. Now, we know that in the Jewish culture, the engagement or the betrothal process was almost as our modern day engagement only with more commitment. In fact, if this betrothal process was to be now canceled, it would require now a formal divorce. This is how serious now this betrothal process was considered. And it said that this virgin was betrothed now to a man now whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now we see here that that Joseph, he's a descendant of the King David of the Old Testament now. And this is a prophetic lineage. The Bible tells us that Jesus would be born not only of a virgin now, but in one verse it also fulfills two prophecies because it says that Jesus would be born, the Messiah would be born now of the line of David. He would be of the Davidic line. Do you see how the Word of God is so special in that it's prophetic and it confirms itself from the Old and New Testament? In one verse you see two prophecies being fulfilled now 
of the birth of Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin, number one. And number two, he was born of the Davidic line and uh, now generation and descendant of David. Now it says that the virgin's name was Mary. This is important that we realize this. It was Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that spoke of this prophecy. It said, therefore, the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why is this a sign? Why is it so specific that we realize that Jesus was to be born of a virgin? Because that was our sign. Now, if we learn through prophecy that, that, now, a vir now that a woman would give birth to a son, is, is that any kind of sign? There really isn't no sign. Because many women would give birth to children. But here God wanted to be very specific, very divine now, and supernatural in the birth of the Messiah, that he said it was going to be a, a birth that is supernatural, and it's of the Holy Spirit. Now we learn here that this is a very unlikely place as well. Because Nazarene, Galilee, was a place of low reputation. It was an unlikely place. To an unlikely person, a young virgin now, in a very unusual way, in a very unexpected plan. Doesn't that seem as how God works oftentimes in our lives? In an unexpected way, in a very unusual time, God wants to do something in our lives. And oftentimes, God's plans don't sound like good plans to us, but we must trust Him. What does the Bible tell us in Isaiah 55 about the plans of God for our life? Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, For my thoughts, or you can say my plans, are not your thoughts, or are not your plans, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, here we learn the plans of God are perfect. Here we learn that the plans of God are not necessarily our own plans, but His plans are much better. <laughs> you know, oftentimes we're so discouraged we become so frustrated because God's working in an unlikely way, in a very unusual way. It's a way that, that maybe we wouldn't prefer. But, but the Lord is saying, this is the way that I want to work. And we become frustrated because that's not our way. But God's plans, God's thoughts, God's ways are bigger than our ways. And His plans are bigger than our plans. And we're seeing that unfold in the very life of a young virgin named Mary. That God was cho choosing now a simple, young, pure woman in a small town of Galilee, Nazarene. Now, verse 28 tells us this. And having come in, the angel said to her, look at what the message is, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice now. That's how he greets her. And he says, rejoice, highly favored one. What does highly favored one mean? Rejoice because you're full of grace. Highly favored one means full of grace. Rejoice. You are full of grace now. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now there's a promise here for us as to why we can rejoice. Why can you rejoice today? Why is it even though the world, our country, <laughs> the state of the situation in, that we're living in right now, how is it that we can rejoice? Number one, because the Lord is with you. Number two, because His grace is with us. Just think about that. And, and, and we see here very quickly that the message not only is rejoice, but the Lord is with you or God is with you 
His hand of favor is on your life. I want you to grab that as encouragement today. Rejoice. His hand of God, the hand of God is on your life as favor. You see what grace means? It really means favor. In fact, he goes on in the message says this, Blessed are you or blessed are you among women. You are favored among women. Now notice this. He didn't say, Mary, blessed are you above women. He said, blessed are you among women. Why was she blessed? Because she received the grace of God. Now notice, Mary didn't bestow the grace of God to others. She received the grace of God. God was with her. God's hand was upon her. Therefore, the message was rejoice. But not only was it rejoice, the Lord is with you. Notice as we continue reading here that we see that when she saw him, she was troubled. <laughs> there are often times that God is doing something in our life and we're confused, we're afraid, we're uncertain. Just imagine now you see an angel. You've never seen an angel before in your life and you're afraid. <laughs> Think about that. You go home today and you open up your door to your house and there is an angel, real live angel standing there ready to welcome you. And the angel says, rejoice. <laughs> A lot of us would be very surprised. Because we've never seen an angel before. And notice what happens here. He says, and she was troubled now, saying, what, what, and consider what manner of greeting was this. But do you see why she was now confused or afraid or, or, or now even disturbed at the visitation of an angel? Because she said, why would an angel visit me? <laughs> this is the humility and the honesty of Mary. She's thinking to herself, why is it that an angel would visit me? You know what the Bible tells us? That God blesses the humble with favor. God blesses the humble with favor. And in the humility of Mary, we see that God's hand is upon her. What does the Bible tell us in James chapter 4, verse 6? That he gives more grace. He gives favor now. Therefore, he says, God will resist the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Blessed are you among. The Lord is with you. Highly favored one. What, where is this coming from? From the humility that Mary had. She had a humility. She had a readiness to be used by the Lord. And, and the message continues in verse 30 because the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now, now look at those two promises, those three promises that we have already. Number one, highly favored and blessed. That's amazing. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored in the Lord. Number two, the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. Number three, we see here in verse 30, do not be afraid. Do you see that? that what, what an amazing promise and encouragement that we find in God's word for us today. That number one, we are blessed and highly favored in the Lord. Number two, the Lord is with us. Number three, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. Do you know that it is a consistent theme not only in the Christmas story, but also in Scripture now. The most repeated now promise that we have in Scripture is do not be afraid. Just think about that. That is the most consistent promise and command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2 when the angel appeared to the shepherds at night? And he appeared to those that were most humble now, to the shepherds, to Mary now. And he said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. What was the message? Do not be afraid. 
It's been said before that in the Bible you can find 365 do not fear or do not be afraid in Scripture throughout from the Old and the New Testament. You know what's awesome about that? That you have one do not be afraid for every single day of your life. <laughs> for every single day of the year. Fear not. As he's saying, and here the, the message of, of the angel here in this consistent theme now is do not fear, trust God, his favors on your life. And you can trust God with the plans and where he has you right now. He's telling Mary, verse 31, notice, and behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is amazing in verse 31 because here is the promise now. Here is the work of God in her life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we see here that, that he, as the angel Gabriel is telling Mary, you shall conceive a son or you shall give birth to a son. It speaks to us about the humanity of Jesus. Now I want you to write that down in verse 31, the humanity of Jesus. Because it's important that we know that he was fully man. The humanity of Jesus now. And it says, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means salvation. Jesus was also meaning salvation, which, which is also the, the name of the promised Messiah that they were waiting for. And here Mary knows the calling on her life. Mary knows the assignment that God has for her. That Jesus, her son, would come with a calling and a purpose, a message for us, which means salvation. You know that Jesus is the same name in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, that we get our word or the name Joshua or Yeshua. And Joshua in the Old Testament was a type now of Savior or salvation that led people to the promised land. But Jesus is, is our Savior or a salvation. He, through him, we have salvation for eternal life. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the message to Mary is given to us like this. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This was the message given now to Joseph about Mary, and for he will save his people from their sins. What was the ministry of Jesus? That he will save his people from their sins. Now let's look here at the mission and ministry of Jesus in which the angel tells Mary, you shall bring forth a son, the humanity of Christ, and you shall call him Jesus. That's going to be his name and ministry, salvation. But notice here, as we continue reading verse 32, he will be great. Now, this is amazing because now it's going to talk about now the majesty of God. That God became flesh. That Jesus was fully man, but Jesus was fully God. And it tells us this in this very verse, verse, 31, verse 32 and 31. It says, and he will be great and will be, be called son of of the highest. So we see two names, Jesus and Son of the Highest. You know what Son of the Highest tells us? Just like in verse 30 and in verse 31, the angel told Mary that she will conceive and be given a son, and that was the humanity of Jesus. Here in the very next verse, verse 32, the Son of the Highest is the divinity of Jesus. You see that not only is we see his humanity, but we see also his deity, that he is God. He is the son of the highest here. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, as we're looking at here the majesty of God in the name of Jesus, not only is that he divine, but also now he's going to be a direct descendant of David, as we mentioned previously. 
And as he's being a direct descendant, he's fulfilling the promises that God had given David of establishing a ruler and a, and a reign from the line of David that would never fail. And that would be Jesus Christ. That out of his lineage, out of his descendants, the Messiah would be born. He came to be the Savior, but he also came to fulfill promises. Verse 33, notice what it says, that's how he will reign. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, over the house of Israel forever. And in his kingdom, there will be no end. He will rule. He will reign. From his kingdom, there will be no end, of course. The people here this day, the Jewish people, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for an earthly establishment of ruling and reigning. But Jesus came not only to give, not to give them the earthly establishment of ruling and reigning, he came to give them now an eternal establishment of ruling and reigning and, an, and now a heavenly eternal kingdom. How, how important is this for us? Because oftentimes we get so concentrated on what is today on the earthly matter instead of looking, God's kingdom is in heavenly kingdom. And if God's kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, then we ought to be heavenly minded because we're citizens of heaven. And we ought to be kingdom minded for the glory of God. Now notice this, what happens as he's saying that their, their focus was, was a political one, was an earthly one. But his reign would be a now eternal reign. And he would come to minister to the people. He will come to set the captives free. What was the, the ministry of Jesus? Isaiah 61 verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This was a, a prophecy concerning the Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Why was Jesus born? Why would Jesus have to be born? He had to be born for the forgiveness of our sins but also to set us free, to heal us from the punishment of our sins, to deliver us now, to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to pray, proclaim liberty now to those that are bound. You see the, the purpose of the Messiah on why he ought to be born? But how was he born? It, it was a miracle. <laughs> and the miracle was found in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 34. It says, And Mary said to the angel, How can these things be? Since I do not know a man. You should say, how is it that this is going to happen? I'm just a young virgin. But notice the word here that I want you to pay attention to as she's responding to the message of the angel. She didn't say, why is this going to happen? She said, how is this going to happen? How is this going to be accomplished? Now her question or her response now here is not a response of doubt. It's not a response now of unbelief. But it's a response now of wonder-filled faith. She's saying, I wonder how God is going to do this because I'm just a virgin. I, I don't know a man. <laughs> and we see here her, her faith, her obedience, her willingness to be used by God. There's often times that, that the Lord wants to do something in our lives. And, and we resist it because we're looking at our human limitations or at the natural instead of looking at the supernatural. Has God ever said, you know, I want to use your life. I want to do something in your life. But you say, Lord, there's no way that you can do that in my life because of our human limitations, because of our doubt, because of our disbelief. Notice that, that Mary didn't do one thing. She didn't ask for a sign. You know who asked for a sign? Now, Zechariah, in in earlier in this chapter. And he was given a promise that he would have a son that was going to be John the Baptist. 
And the, the angel gave him a sign. The Lord gave him a sign. It was that he would be mute, that he would not be able to speak until the, the birth of the son. It's so interesting that oftentimes when the Lord wants to speak to us, because of our human limitations, because we're looking at the natural, we ask the Lord for a sign. Instead of just trusting God and what he has said. You see, Mary knew what would happen. Mary knew what the Lord would do, but she didn't know how it would happen. And she was trusting the Lord with the process. There are often times that God says, I want to do something in your life, but we want to know the process. And the Lord is saying, just trust me with the process and the fulfillment of that process. Because she believed that promise, although she didn't understand how God would perform that promise in her life. She knew the physical limitations, but she also knew that God works outside of physical limitations. God works outside of our physical limitations. Now, this is important for us to realize and how she says how because of her faith, the weight of her faith. There are times often in our lives where we limit God because of our personal preference or our excuses. Has God ever said he wants to do something in your life? And you limit the doing and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because of your personal preferences or because of your excuses that you bring before the Lord? Oftentimes, there's been times even in my life that I'd say, Lord, well, I want you to do that in my life, but I have a personal preference as to how I want you to accomplish that <laughs> or where I want you to accomplish that. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, I, I would love for you to do that, but I have my personal excuses as to why the Lord should not do it this way. Mary was saying, Lord, just, just do it. I wonder how he'll do it. I don't know how, but I trust him that he will perform this promise. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has no boundaries and the Holy Spirit has no limits. And the birth of Jesus was a birth conceived through a virgin but by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no limits as to how God wants to work in our lives. And he always loves to work outside of our personal human limitations. You know what the problem oftentimes in our life is? Is that we want to put the Holy Spirit in a box. <laughs> We want the Holy Spirit to work under our terms, under our stipulations. Holy Spirit, if you would work this way, then I would submit to that plan. And we want our plan. We want to submit to our plan. We want to dictate the narrative as to how God is going to use us. But the Holy Spirit says, don't come to me with an agenda. Don't come to me with a preference. Let the will of God today, church, be your preference. Let the will of God, let God's timing, let God's perfect plan, let God's perfect location, let that be your preference. Because at the end of your life, you want to say, I live with no regrets because I lived in the will of God. Now notice as he, as this, in verse 35, as the angel responds now to Mary, and she says, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is amazing. <laughs> Because this is a, it wasn't a work, a, a natural work of the flesh. Anytime the, the, the Lord wants to do something, He's going to do it through the Holy Spirit, His presence. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. Now it was a direct declaration now here that we see that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her of divine conception. This would be a divine conception now. It says here, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power now, the, the dynamite empowerment of the highest will overshadow you. Now you see here 
the, the Gabriel, now the angel, tells Mary now that the Holy Spirit will, number one, come upon. Upon speaks of power, the upon experience. The Holy Spirit, this is how the Holy Spirit wants to use our life. Number one, by empowering us. He not only calls us, but he also enables us with his equipping. How am I going to do that, Lord? I don't know how I possibly can do that big assignment that you've called me to do. How is it, Lord, that you're calling us to do this? Well, the Holy Spirit says, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. By my empowerment. He will come upon you. He will empower you. But notice this. And the, the, the highest will overshadow you. The word overshadow means like coming over you like with a cloud. You remember in the Old Testament when the cloud would come upon the nation of Israel and, and the cloud was a now sign of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God that would come upon and the, the power and the glory of God, he was saying, is going to do this, Mary. That's one of the things that as believers today, we need to be pursuing. The power and the glory of God. The power and the glory of God is never seen in our lives. It's never manifested. The power and the glory of God is never exalted when we come to the Lord with our own agenda. When we come to the Lord with our own plan. And you see here how God is using this, this version, a, a sign of purity as well for us. Because purity allows the power to flow through us. Do you see that God chooses this just pure young vessel to manifest his power and his glory upon her and use her to give birth now uh, in divine conception of the Messiah. And, and as we continue reading verse 35, we see here another name throughout the narrative of the birth of Christ, not only Jesus, not only Son of God here, but also says here, it tells us, therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Isn't this amazing here? The Holy One and the Son of God, or the Son of the Highest, Jesus. These are all the names of Jesus that we're receiving today. Jesus, the Son of the Highest, the Holy One who is pure in a holiness, in essence, to be born, the called the Son of God. And in their time, the Son of God meant more than what we think of it uh, as a son. It means equal in nature to God. This is the Messiah, Mary, that you have been waiting for. He is fully man. He is fully God. His humanity and his deity are important now. And he's going to be born of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. You know what this tells us? She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now, there's so much meaning in that. Not only was she impregnated by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon her. The glory of God was upon her, but also inside her. And the Holy Spirit gave birth to the Son, and His name was Jesus, our Messiah. I think it's important more today than ever that we are seeking the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that He can use us. And use us to do one thing, to give and to show people and to spread the message of Jesus. Now notice verse 36, what happens now. Because now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her 
who was called barren. Now, Mary, I want you to know that this is true. In fact, I'm going to give you some confirmation that you didn't even ask for. Elizabeth now, your relative, she's pregnant now. She's six months pregnant, and this is past the time now that in which she can even have and conceive and bear a child. Now, this is amazing here, even in Elizabeth's life. that You see that God's doing something past the time that we would naturally believe that God can do it. Well, God, this is past the time in which I thought that you would do it. But God is saying this is the perfect time because it's aligning to my purpose. Have you ever thought that God is maybe showing up too late in your life? But God's saying, no, I'm not, I'm not showing up late. I'm showing in my perfect time. I'm manifesting my work in your life. And he's saying, in this woman, Elizabeth, who was barren or who was called empty, who could not bear children, God has filled what was empty. Notice what's happening here. And in verse 37, how is it that God is doing this in Elizabeth's life? How is it that God is doing this in Mary's life? How is it that God can do this in your life today? Because oftentimes we read this and, Lord, there is no way that you can do this. <laughs> God, there is no way as you've given me this promise that you can fulfill this promise. There is no way, Lord, that, that I can take Jesus into those places that you've called me to do. And he's saying, well, yes, you can with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then you get a reminder here, and it's in verse 37. Notice this declaration, verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Isn't that something that you need to remember tonight? With God, nothing will be impossible. Oftentimes, we're never able to accomplish what God's called us to do. Because we're looking for man's help to help us do God's work. We're looking for resources. We're looking for approval. And you know what Mary did? Mary just listened. For God, nothing will be impossible. The word of God, notice this, will never fail. And some of us need to find that type of encouragement tonight. That God's word never fails. We can hold on to that. That God keeps his promises. This is exactly what she's receiving. God keeps his promises regardless of how difficult the circumstances may be. <laughs> the circumstances are too difficult, Lord. There's no way that Mary, a young virgin, can bear a son. And, and the Lord says, with God, nothing will be impossible. Regardless of how difficult the circumstances, God always keeps his promises. I want you to look at this verse 37 because Gabriel's statement of God should be our personal statement of faith. <laughs> Gabriel's statement of God should be your personal statement of faith today in whatever situation you find yourself facing. What does that statement of faith should sound like? Nothing is impossible with God. Is that your statement of faith? Nothing is impossible with God. Throughout Scripture, you can, we continue seeing the hand of God and how nothing is impossible with God. Think about in the life of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, where he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of the life, and Sarah shall have a son. Do you remember how God told Abraham? Is anything too hard for me? Could you not think that Sarah can have a son? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember that tonight. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Oftentimes we put excuses and limitations as to God, what God wants to do. And he reminds us, is anything too hard for me? What about in the life of Job? 
What did Job say as he was suffering, as he was patient, as he was enduring now through this trial and season in his life? He says, I know you can do everything. <laughs> and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I know, God, that you can do everything and nothing that you want to do, none of your plans can be withheld from you. Job 42, verse 2. Is anything too hard for me? I know, God, you can do everything. Or in the life of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. Lord, I know you created heaven and earth by your hand and your arm. Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. <laughs> have you come today with something you say, Lord, this is too hard for anyone. This is so difficult that I, I never see this actually taking place. Can we go to the Lord with some wonder-filled faith today, tonight, and say, Lord, I don't know how, but I know you can do it. <laughs> I don't know how, but I know that you can do this. What happened there in Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, there is nothing too hard for you. What is it that we think is too hard for the Lord to accomplish? Or in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus looked at his disciples and those standing around, talking about the young rich man, it says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. <laughs> I think there's oftentimes we get so discouraged because we're looking at the face of nothing but closed doors because our trust is in man. But we, can, we put our eyes on the Lord, we see the Lord opening up the doors of what is possible in his will. Of what is possible in, there is nothing that is impossible in the will of God. <laughs> There's nothing that's impossible in the will of God. Because that's the Lord's plan. And what about David in Psalms 33 verse 9? Psalms 33 verse 9, he says, For he spoke it and it was done. As he's looking at the creation, the Lord just spoke it. He just gave breath of it and it was done. He commanded it and it stood fast. All that needs to happen is for the Lord to speak it and it's done. Do you believe that? <laughs> that? That God can make a straight line with a crooked stick, as some would say. God just needs to speak it and it's done. And here Mary is receiving encouragement. Even Elizabeth, in the, in, now the old age that she has in her later years is giving birth now and nothing is impossible with God. This is an important lesson that we must remember. That with God, there is nothing that's impossible. In fact, I like how it says it in the American Standard Version. It says this, For no word from God shall be void of power. Isn't that amazing? For no word of God shall be void of power. God's word comes with power. And what he says, he will fulfill. What he says, he will accomplish. There was power in the word. There's power in the word. There is power, here we go, in God's word, not man's word. <laughs> there is power in God's word. One of my favorite passages, just looking at faith and how we ought to trust God, is found in Jeremiah, where we see, as the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah, where he says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Curses the man who trusts in man. 
But blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord. He shall be like a tree <laughs> that is planted and will not be moved. Oftentimes our trusts are in man, so we are easily moved. You know what Mary has to hold on to? One thing, that nothing is impossible with God. And that she might not know how it's going to be accomplished, but her faith is in the promise that God will perform. Now look at her response. In verse 38 now. Then Mary said, Behold. And she's still filled with humility and honesty because in this verse she says, Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Maidservant of the Lord means the most humble, lowest female servant. <laughs> the lowest kind of servant that you can possibly imagine. She's saying, Ah, oh, look at, behold, here I am. <laughs> Behold, here I am, the maidservant, the lowest kind of servant, but here I am. There are, there, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we need to have a here I am, send me attitude. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to have a here I am, send me out. Behold, Lord, here I am, your servant. I am just your servant. And this is what she says, let it be done to me according to your word. When she's saying behold, you know what she's saying? I'm ready, Lord. Do what you want with me. <laughs> Lord, I'm ready. Lord, do whatever you want in my life. I am open. You know, I, I love that. And the Lord is recently speaking to me with that word open. You know what it means to be open? To put aside your personal preference and say, Lord, I'm open for whatever you want to do, not what I want to do. And not just say it, but also really trust Him. You know what's scary about that is that when you're open in the work of the Holy Spirit, is that we want to know how God is going to do it. <laughs> Instead of trusting Him that He will complete it. And when you're open to the work of the Holy Spirit, you know what you can do? You can just trust Him and say, Lord, even if you change everything of what I had in mind, I will submit to that plan because I want to be submitted to your will. God's plan the Holy Spirit doesn't consider your personal preferences. He does not. The Holy Spirit will do what He wants to accomplish and use you how He wants to do it. Now, look at Mary, how she's saying, because she says here, let it be done to me, verse 38, according to what? Your word, not my word. And this verse 38 speaks of surrender, it speaks of submission, notice that, to the Word of God. It's a manifestation, it's a proclamation of her faith and her trust in God. Can you say that when the Lord wants to use you? Lord, I surrender to your plan then. Lord, I submit to your plan then, God. Lord, I, I want to proclaim, I want to give a manifestation right now, Lord, in faith, in trust, that what you are doing, let everything become true of what you said in my life. And, and notice what happens here now after the message was done and the angel departed from her. Now, notice what happens because this is so important that, that Mary knew one thing. That in her time, she was betrothed to Joseph. And it, was be, it would have to have been considered adultery, a very significant offense and punishable offense by stoning <laughs> that she was pregnant. <laughs> And she could have said, Lord, no, angel, no. 
Because the repercussions of what's going to come into my life, if people find out that I'm pregnant, I don't want that, God. That's going to cost me too much. That's going to cost me shame. That's going to cost me trouble. That's going to cost me something uncomfort, Lord. That's going to cost me something. But regardless of the public offense of what others thought about her, of her public reputation, before her public reputation was her private obedience. I think a lot of times we're, considered, we're, we're, we're so concerned more about our public reputation than our private obedience. And what, what Mary was saying is that she was willing to submit to the will of God. You know what this looks like? Let it be done according to your word. This looks like obedience. Obedience. Mary didn't want an explanation. <laughs> Oftentimes we live with one explanation. How is it, God, that you want to use me that way? Holy Spirit. We don't live on explanations. We live on promises. And what is your response to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Are we submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit? Are we moving with the flow of the Holy Spirit? Or are we resisting the work of the Holy Spirit? Are you trusting His work by faith even when you don't understand how? But you can have wonder-filled faith and say, Lord, I don't know how. I'm filled with wonder as to how God is going to do it, but I trust He will. Because we can guarantee one thing here that Mary never regretted being submitted to the will of God. And she believed God. In fact, in verse 45 of this chapter, verse 45 of chapter 1, it says, Blessed is she who believed. Elizabeth said, Blessed is she who believed for the fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Do you believe what God has told you? Will you obey Him? Because God will use you if you trust Him. And Mary, in that statement, you know what she was saying? I'm at peace. I'm simply at peace, whatever God wants to do. <laughs> I'm submitted, whatever God wants to do. I'm simply waiting for God to bring his promises to fulfillment. You know what I love about this is that she submitted, she submitted to the will of God. In body, she submitted to the will of God in soul, but she submitted to the will of God also in spirit. She said, let it be done to me according to your word. Later in this chapter, she says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. It was her soul as well. And then in verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God. You see how she has peace? How she rejoices in the plan of God in body, soul, and in spirit. She experienced the grace of God here. Just like you've experienced the grace of God. Just like we've experienced the grace of God. She believed in the Word of God. Therefore, she can be used by the Spirit of God to be, accomplish His will. As you receive the grace of God, do you believe in the Word of God so that the Spirit of God can accomplish His will in our lives? Do you believe that He has said that He can do what He has said He will do? And like Mary, say, Lord, you do whatever you want to do in our lives. And through her, we see that God used her to bring us our salvation, our Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. That it all came from the submission to the will of God. Can we go ahead and pray right now?